Welcome back. This is Blazing Business Trails. My name is Sarah Paul and we'll be discussing the challenges and issues for leaders in the professional, legal, real estate, recruitment and educational services. And my name is Corvin Dahari. Each week we'll invite industry experts, analysts and people from the business services sector onto our podcast to get their insights, perspectives and learnings. So on this week's show we talk about the challenges for C-Suite in a post-COVID world with two brilliant guests. Yes, we had Stuart Kay, Director of Marketing and Recruitment from BPP, and our very own Craig Walker from our strategy office out of the uh, CEO's office here at Salesforce. And it was a fantastic conversation too. Uh, What really hit home for you, Cully? I think Craig and Stuart did an amazing job. We talked around a number of things, but if I come back to what I take away from this session, CEOs or the C-suite have had to focus around stabilising their workforce, focusing then on compassion and trust as we've gone through the first and second lockdowns and as we move towards coming out of lockdown three, really thinking about hope and the future. That's what came from the conversation with those two. Yeah, we're definitely in that hope phase, aren't we? And and, and, and also another area that's top of mind for C-suite is sustainability and that popped up in, in conversation. Yeah, as, as did trust, Sarah. You know, trust plays an important part in, in delivering the message to your workforce. That came yeah. through as well. Yeah, and also one of our core values, especially as well. There's so much to like. Let's hear our conversation with Stuart and Craig. Thank you, Stuart and Craig, for joining us today. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you very much, Sarah. Pleasure to be here. So, Stuart, for those that don't know BPP, could you just tell us a little bit more about your organisation? BP Education Group, uh, we are a, a training provider uh, and we kind of go through your kind of life, life cycle in terms of like education and training needs all the way from kind of uh, uh, apprenticeships, postgraduate and obviously then the future skills that you would get when you're in your employment. What would you say uh, business leaders, how do they build and develop trust with employees? We're going straight into to the topic of, uh, of the C-sweetness side here. I think it really comes down to the to kind of, especially in the current climate and kind of current backdrop, I think it really tests the culture uh, the values and behaviours of an organisation. I think it's the glue that holds all of that together. And I think it's it's the foundation that you really need to b- build from. So you've really got to have that in place, I think. Um, and it's as I say, it's a real test at times like this to make sure that you've, you've got those in place. Uh, I also think that it's also something that everybody's measured against across the organisation. So it's a benchmark that it's kind of everybody's anchor. Uh, and as, whether you're at the C-suite or, you know, elsewhere in the organisation, it is the thing that, you know, everybody should be kind of looking to and saying, are they demonstrating those values and behaviours that, that you also want to reflect in, you, in yourself? Can you give some examples? Because I know that you're Director of Marketing and Recruitment. Are you able to give some examples of what you've just said? It's probably having that current, having that empathy at the moment. Uh, I think humanising things, uh, you know, I think, when you're looking at kind of, I suppose, externally, so if you look at sales and marketing at the moment and look externally, you know, you're, you're, you're looking at kind of a more integrated customer journey. You know, our audiences are wanting consistent experiences. It's putting that kind of speed and agility, the transformation that's going on. They're the values and behaviours that you want to have in, internally within your culture as well, you know, and trust to be able to kind of, you know, embrace that kind of the right amount of risk be agile you know making sure that management are empowered to make those decisions with those things in mind uh 
the culture to make sure that yes, if we are gonna, we're not gonna get everything right. You know, I know people talk about failing fast, but it it really is again back to that kind of data driven mm. approach as well, so that everybody can kind of track how they're all building towards whatever that target is, which ultimately often is that revenue in EBITDA. So Craig, um, you've held a C-suite position at one of the you know, large organisation, which is well known. Um, I'm sure you can relate to everything Stuart's just said. Your perception on what, your thoughts on what yeah. Stuart's just said. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, that that piece about trust and being trusted by your employees, by your by your stakeholders, by your board, is it is incredibly is incredibly important. And I think a lot of that comes down to your Stuart mentioned uh, values and the culture. You've as a leader, the number one thing you have to be at a time of crisis is authentic. People spot it immediately if you're not authentic, if you're not genuine. And so you have to believe in what you're saying. You have to be be able to put that over in a personable way. You have to be able to tell the tough messages when you need to and not sugarcoat them. And we all instinctively know that that if you're going to live the values, if you have the values of a company, it's incredibly important that the people you employ believe in those values. That doesn't mean you don't have diversity of gender and thought and ethnicity, but you've got to believe in that culture because if you don't, A, it, it makes it a stressful place to work. Sure. And B, you will never perform or have your teams perform to the level you need because there's another level of friction there that doesn't need to be there. And, and you know, during the pandemic, we've seen it um, with our governments, with our ministers, with our politicians. We know who we latch onto and go, that was genuine, that was from the heart. And on others, we go, they're just saying that. And it's the, such an important thing. And in the corporate world, you know, either Stuart or Craig, whichever one of you wants to take the question, the, the you know we've pivoted from not seeing people face to face to going into this virtual world how do you drive how does that authenticity authenticity come through in that virtual world um craig you you, know, you just talked about it Stuart. maybe you can give you the bpp uh, approach on it but how do you become authentic i i think it's you just have to have a in some respects it's easier at the moment because i think everybody's kind of going through the same experience so you know you you have to have a keen awareness of what's going on and have that empathy, uh, you know, and, and, and also then structure it so that, you know, you can kind of tap into the those emotions that others are feeling, you know, act with compassion, you know, and make individuals in those groups kind of feel like you genuinely kind of care for them. And and, and as uh, as Craig said, if you're you've got to do that, you've got to be genuine because people will see straight, see through that. You have to have real conviction behind what you're saying and really understand and be aware of the current situation within your organisation. Otherwise, you know, you know, you're you will be found out. Yeah, I think as Stuart says, um, yeah, I think there's an interesting thing about this uh, this dynamic. As an engineer, I have to slip an equation somewhere into this um, conversation. So, uh, for those who haven't seen it, or maybe for many who have, there's a, there's the trust equation, and the trust equation equals reliability plus credibility, plus intimacy, divided by self-orientation. Now, the things we do tend to do pretty well um, at companies is we can build our reliability and we can build our credibility. Different cultures are quite bad at driving intimacy because it's a little bit of a warm, fuzzy thing. And, you know, certainly at my previous company, we're not overly comfortable with that sort of thing. But what the pandemic has done like on this conversation we're having, I can see into your, your houses, I can see into your rooms. Instantly, 
I'm having a more intimate conversation, I know something more about you. And given as Stuart said that I want to be empathetic and ask, hey, hey, you know, Stuart, how's it going? Um, you know, you told me you had that problem last week. You know, is that suddenly that self-orientation is going away because I'm curious in you. I'm curious in your life. How's it going outside of just doing the work? And that's what creates trust. We're normalizing home life and we're getting to know the real individual then, Craig. Exactly. And that enhances trust. Trust comes from knowing people, not just the persona they put on at work. I think, as Craig said as well, you know, your natural reaction of a, of a leader is to stabilise in these current situations. And again, going back to then how you communicate and how you then empathise with people's situations, that's really what your your first your first kind of reaction should be uh, and then how you build from that. Yeah, um, and on that, actually, how do you monitor people's well-being? Are you doing anything at BPP to monitor that and communicate out and make, you know, empathise and make faster decisions with with that as well yeah i i think we're quite lucky to have uh, we had a program in place around the culture the values and behaviors uh the internal the internal communication program mm -hmm. as well you know those things like daily pulse checks making sure that that kind of foundation of information that was being uh you know, communicate throughout the organisation. So one of the things that is, is, is at the moment is there's a lot of information that needs to be, that's quite fast and reactionary, obviously based on whatever the next announcement would be. And it's really how do we make sure we've got the mechanisms to kind of tell people that the the, the basic level of information, uh, so that at least, they, again, that, that stability is there, again, so that they can then sit there and be at least be comfortable and that there is a... A plan and there is that as an organization that there is that that framework in place because um, again with remoteness you're not in the office you're not face to face there is kind of there is a, an anxiety potentially there from people that they're not seeing people and not you're not having that kind of that dynamic that they would have in the work environment i don't know what you think craig yeah well i think i think it's so different depending on your personal circumstances yeah, I have friends who are single. They live in an apartment in London. Their family's the other end of the country. They literally haven't spoken to anybody other than the Amazon man for the last six <laughs> weeks, right? I, I mean, actually sort of in a physical way. Um, I think many companies have done a lot of great things in rolling out, you know, wellness programs, in encouraging uh, staff to get together to talk about um, different aspects of what's going on. But I think... So you're certainly, um, you know, I, I arrived into Salesforce in the middle of the pandemic and there is a fantastic culture here of caring for people. I mean, it comes through. But I think ultimately it comes down to every individual in your company and indeed anybody else I might talk to in the course of my work to just bother at the beginning of the conversation to spend a little bit of time talking about, hey, how's it going yeah, where do you live? Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, how how are the kids doing? Blah, blah, blah. Because I think, oh, that sounds bad, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, that's what shows you care, you're interested. And I actually am genuinely interested because I will learn from something they tell me uh, that they've done to make things a little better or a little more fun or whatever it might be. I hope some of that stays when we go back to a more normal environment. Because I think at times in in companies, we get very transaction, right? Here's the start of the meeting, bang, here's the minutes, the last, blah, 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 and then we all go off again. We've lost that yeah. piece, certainly when I joined uh, my uh, previous employer, Shell, where we all went to lunch together. 
We all went out for a drink afterwards together. We all socialized together because that was life. You came into the office and big companies provided meals and all this sort of thing. That nowadays, towards the end of my career, people would come into the office, put their headphones on, have meetings all day and go home. And if they'd have been depressed or upset, you probably wouldn't even have known. And I hope after this pandemic, we get back to more of an all-inclusive, bothering to take time out of our day to talk to people, to spend quality time with people, and as leaders, give access to ourselves. That means people can come and have whatever chat they want because they feel it's a trusted environment and you're there to talk about more than just business. And I think good leadership is about making yourself available and giving people that space to have other discussions than, than just the normal day-to-day -day work. Is it going to be different? I mean, I, I agree with everything you said, Craig. I mean, we all sit there with our headphones on pre-pandemic and we just got on with the job, right? But is it going to be different? Is it really going to be different? And are all organisations really going to put the effort into create a new culture post-pandemic? I, I think they're going to have to because I think employees now recognise there are other ways to work. I, I, be that I'm not going to waste, you know, some people probably spend the better part of 20 or more hours travelling to and from the office every week. Is that really necessary? We've probably proven it isn't. But on the other hand, I'm sure there's a section of people who are desperate to get back to the office because that's where their interaction, their social life, their world, their world are revolved around. And you've got people at each end of that spectrum. But as employees, I think we will be more demanding of the work environment, more demanding of work-life balance than perhaps we, the mode we got into in the last 10 or 20 years. I think I think one of the I will always go back to kind of data on this. So again, from the sales and marketing in that 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 kind of data layer, I think you need to look at the data behind this, uh, those kind of internal kind of KPIs or measures or whatever you're you're looking at. Will it go back to normal? I think you have to start there. I think some of the byproducts from this that I think organisations need to look at is when you've gone through this kind of, I suppose you'd call it trauma, or there's been this kind of shock to the way of working, how, how have you been identifying that talent? How have you been identifying those kind of those people that have, have, have maybe come through in this, this particular situation? Um, I think you've got to look and say, where are the... Where are the where are the areas in terms of within your organisation and your internal kind of talent programs, your internal kind of well being, you know how you bring people back into the office and achieve that blend? You you've got to look at the data, uh, and I think then make your decisions based on that. So, you know, it's probably an overused phrase in terms of the new normal or back to a normal environment, whatever that means. I think you've just got to say what suits your organisation. You know, it's very hard for somebody, you know, uh, where they're their front line to, to see that their role is going to be any different uh, post-pandemic, whereas maybe somebody in sales and marketing, you could actually have a, a, a different environment set up based on how, how much you're in the office and how you interact with your colleagues. Yeah, I would agree with Stuart. It's very important to really listen to people at this time and, and find out what their aspiration is now. Um, and I think that shouldn't be missed. I, I, I think it would be too easy to try and say, oh, yes, well, we can all just go back to the way we were or we're going to do something radically different. But you leave people behind in that conversation. I think this is a company conversation. It is about culture. It is about ways of working. And the more people you involve in that, I think the better we will come out of this. So, Stuart, how do you think uh, C-Suite can, 
can listen more effectively and how can they set this up? Again, I suppose trying to draw the, the positives out of the current kind of situation uh, and going back to some of the things we've talked around here in terms of that ability to have empathy and relate to current situation. I think you've got to make sure that you don't forget you don't forget those things when we start to go back. Uh, you've got to follow through and have that conviction again. Back to what Craig was saying at the, uh, when we when we started, it's it's that demonstration, you know, the actual follow through and conviction that you've you've actually seen this, and then you're going to do something about it, uh, and that's what people want to see, and it's evidence of that. Do they feel like there's been a change? Uh, so the easiest one could be that work life balance, that blend. You know, how often you're in the office. Well, to what level does that need a change? You know, is that contractual change in some examples? Uh, do people kind of, when we talk about work-life balance, you know, I think one of the things that I think all people could relate to right now is the diary, the time between meetings, I think, is 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 is, is really shortened. So now the diary is one meeting after another, after another, after another. And I think when we talk about work-life balance and, you know, it's not just about the office and home. It's that blend. You know, I don't. I think balance is the wrong word. I think it's blend yeah. is the yeah. word. And how, how did BPP um, cope right at the start of lockdown? Was it a bit of a shock at first um, to, on the education side or did you have plans in place for something that on digital side? I think we were certainly, certainly in terms of uh, Graham, Graham Gaddis, who's the, the chief mm-hmm. exec, uh, I think he was very keen to make sure that we had those continuity plans in place. Uh, so we had a plan. Uh, Fantastic. Very yeah. Early on. And I think then, you know, how, that, how as, as the situation was unfolding, you are then looking at things such as your technology. Uh, so, you know, again, we're quite fortunate that we deliver a lot of online education, you know, both... Uh, synchronous and asynchronous so we were able to kind of make that transition in uh, fairly quickly and then obviously from a from my perspective from a sales and marketing perspective a lot of our technology is based on salesforce and the cloud so we were able to move our contact center and telephony and our marketing you know there was very little change on on on, on that area and allowed us to focus on the employees and um, making sure that they had the right setup at home, the right kit, that their work environment was actually condu- you know, conducive to you know the, the right uh, the right experience. Uh, but yeah, again, I, I would say that the data layer that was in place, it was daily stand-ups. It was you know there was a lot of structure that had to be put in place around that to make sure we had the right data, the right signals coming back for then ultimately you know the uh the graham and the team around that to make be able to make informed decisions uh, and stuart sorry i was going to ask a question it was really bad isn't it uh, stuart uh, do you do you think meetings got more efficient i mean i seem to have this view that i now do in half an hour what i used to do in an hour that's maybe not a good thing because i think that just means you cram more things in and you don't have that natural break of walking around but do you think we managed to get more efficient as we did this oh, that's a great question craig uh I think there's a lot more focus in the meetings in the in the meeting time. I think it has forced out those those behaviours, you know, structured agendas, you know, the the we're straight into the into into the meat of the topic. Uh, I think one area that I still kind of question and 
work out how whether it's better or more effective is probably where you have those big kind of strategic moments where you want to yeah. gather around a whiteboard and sketch something out. I think they're the ones that I think it may have turned into several meetings rather than what you would have been able to do in maybe that one yes. session. I don't know, what's, what do you think, Craig? What's your, I, your view? Uh, I think the risk is it's not the meetings we have because we know the people that are on them, etc. What I missed is that going to the coffee machine or going to the canteen or going for a bite and bumping into someone I haven't seen for two or three weeks, having a spontaneous conversation and going, ah, so you're working on that. Actually, I could really do with you coming to talk to my team about that. It's the spontaneity. It's the meetings that aren't planned that I think is what I'm missing out on or that I miss, uh, I'm missing out on. We are missing out on in terms of that's where some of the best ideas or some of the moments of inspiration yeah. come from. The set agendas, I agree, I think it's more efficient. I worry there's something yeah, else you're missing. Right. Yeah, you're right. It's, that, it's, it's making sure you've got... It is daily as well, I think. It's, it's making sure you make a conscious effort for those moments where where's the innovation yes. coming from, where's the yes. ideas coming from. You know, you have to make a conscious effort, don't you, that actually you're not missing out on those those conversations that would happen in the kitchen or or in in a you know like you said around a desk that actually probably would have sparked something. Actually, I will say that in Salesforce, one of the things that's been interesting um, is is there's a weekly get to know you where you're randomly drawn with someone across could be anywhere in the world, pretty much. I think they do me just in a mirror, and I have half an hour with them. Those have been really good because I've met with all sorts of people, increased my network. We've often ended up on calls later together or that sparked us to go talk to a customer about something. So trying to bring back in that randomization of just it doesn't matter what grade you are or who you are, you you just two people just meet. Uh, that has been that's been very good. And I can say the irony of that, Craig, is you and I met on one of those programs. And here we are today Pre on this podcast. Right. I mean, who'd have, who'd, have, who'd have made that connection? Exactly. Eight or nine months ago. Right. But no, I agree. I, I, absolutely, I was, and, and you beat me to it in terms of that uh, initiative that we're driving to connect people up. Having come through onboarding, where we haven't been in the office and we haven't had Correct. those call aid conversations or coffee conversations, it's been really difficult to connect with people. Mm. Yeah, we're doing the day job, but building the network has been difficult, Stuart. What, what are, you know, have you guys at BPP run any initiatives? in terms of onboarding your personnel and, and connecting them back into the business, particularly as they're all remote? Well, we've still been, we've still been hiring through the pandemic. Yeah, so again, if you look at, I think some organised, obviously some haven't been as fortunate, but our, our, our plan, our growth, as I say, our, our, our business still needs to operate. You know, this, you know, the future skills and the, the, this, the productivity and skills gap is still there. If anything, it's been a, it's it's kind of shone a spotlight on it the current situation so the demand for what we do is is never been as great so we've had to continue to hire continue to kind of bring people into the organisation make sure we've got that kind of the, the the culture as I talked about the how making sure you can still do all of that, that you would have done face to face remotely I think it has changed a lot of the uh, the the approach we've, we've reworked a lot of our induction we've reworked actually how we do uh you know those those kind of key moments uh, again accessibility to data it's it's making sure that people feel they're connected and supported i think that's one of the big things we're working remotely uh you've got to make sure that 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 
that that sinew and that tissue that that binds us all together is still still there and f- visible to people. Uh, so like it has again. It's it's been a huge effort uh, to make sure that 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 still continues. And I think as we go back into the the office and new, I think some of that will remain in place. Uh, you know, you don't need to. You don't need to be face to face to do some of that. I have a question for you here, Stuart, and 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 Craig. I'll ask you the same question. Are we at the point now in the in the curve where we've over communicated, and now that curve is now starting to flatten out a little bit? Where, where, where you know people are wanting to see less communication from from the executive C suite, and they just want to get on with their day job. We've gone through that <laughs> peak of over communicating. Now it's guys, can we have less email or less communication, please? I. Again, I will go back to it on the data. So, from our, our, I suppose back reflecting on my own experience on this one, and again, I suppose back to marketing, which is kind of I'll always try and bring it back to that marketing. You know, it, it's back to that kind of maturity. If you think about, let's pick on something like email. You know, it's moving from kind of that time based to behavior based that we talk about in marketing. You know, you, you, you're driving an action based on somebody's behavior or digital body language that you might see on the website or across a channel. If you reflect that internally, you know, I think people will tell you, you know, in you get that if you look at the data you can see that picture so a practical example is i think first when we we're in that kind of first lockdown there was lots of kind of team meetings the friday get-togethers when you start to look at the data and the engagement around that you could see that there was a drop-off for the novelty once that novelty had kind of moved gone i think it focused people on what the real important things are and again going back to that demonstration at all levels of the organisation, you know. So if you're if you've got line management, it's making sure you pick those moments where actually you're adding the value to somebody's day, uh, that you're able to kind of have those moments with your team that is going to have an impact. And I think that's what we've seen is we've gone from that first lockdown. Second is that I wonder how many organisations have still continued with some of the initiatives in that 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 first phase. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say in our our marketing team, we we're through this pandemic, we've come closer. We've had organised socials as well, a lot more than we would normally have. And everybody yeah. works from different parts of the country. So on digital, we're kind of all together. But Craig, how does digital, does it make C-suite more accessible than rather than being at the top of the floor of the building? And Well, I... I don't know that the technology itself makes them more accessible. Mm. I think it gives them the opportunity to be more accessible, and that depends a lot on your company culture. I would say in Salesforce, uh, I was blown away by just how accessible everybody is. It's a very flat organization. It's not too hung up on hierarchy. Um, You go on these big weekly all-hands calls, and you have from Mark Benioff down on the call. Mm -hmm. Um, That is a long way away from what a lot of other companies do. And I think people appreciate that. I I think linking that to, to Cully's first question, you know, you don't, you don't always um, listen to all the communications. You don't necessarily have time. You don't necessarily have the opportunity to go online to do it right. But I, I don't think you can ever communicate enough. That was always one of my mottos as a leader. But when you do communicate, Keep it simple, keep to two or three key messages, and you might run a different kind of thread on those messages, but the key messages should be the same, or you will confuse people. So if I miss a couple of weeks and I pick back up, I still feel familiar with what I'm being told. It still makes me feel like I'm part of the family, I'm part of the company. So I think keeping consistent is incredibly important. 
Keep the communication simple to the point, show empathy in the communication, and always seek feedback. So if that makes the C-suite more accessible, yes, that's good. But they should have been anyway. They should have been anyway. Yeah. And maybe this is a time where the C-suite has realized as leaders, they were not visible enough within the within the company. And I think that is true of certainly some of the customers that I, that I talk to. And I, th- I agree. And I think you set that expectation as well. So again, you go back to that comms plan. You know, what what is it that you're doing? Is there a need to do something every day? Is there a need to do something weekly? And I think once you set that cadence and that expectation, you know, people then get used to that pattern of communication for those mo- and then obviously within that are those moments where you want to hear from potentially the chief exec you know or potentially you know whoever that might be on those 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 key moments where there is something that is you know critical that the whole organization is 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 made aware of uh, but i think it comes back to that once you kind of set that expectation of information and that comes you need to make sure you continue yes. that i think i think it's where you struggle where organizations have that kind of that 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 sporadic yes. kind of update. Yes. I think people want a regular cadence. Um, and let's face it, you're right about the tech in the sense it's very, very easy for me as a leader to record a quick video on my iPhone or whatever my choice of poison of devices. I can do that very easily. I can put it out there very easily. And I think senior leaders should not shy away from that. It makes you look accessible. It makes you look vulnerable. It doesn't have to be some polished thing where a professional crew turns up. In fact, people don't want that. They want to see the real you. Mm. So C-suite visibility is important. But what about those that's maybe a bottom of the tiers? And uh, how can people make themselves more visible? Do you have some sort of, Stuart, do you have some sort of recognition programme at all at BPP? We do. So we have a, we have a recognition program. Again, probably echoing what Craig says, we are we're, we're structurally on the day to day. It's all about impacting role and what individual and, and, and what kind of talent or what kind of skill set is best to then achieve that task or that objective. So it does mean that the opportunity, especially in the growth, you know, that and the ambition that we have, it means that people do feel connected. Um, Based on the feedback, again, based on what and this is not just me saying it, this is based on the pulse checks and the data. You can see that there is a real connection there. And in fact, during this period, I think that's that has that's 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 been even that's been strengthened uh, because of some of the the fact that there has been that transformation in somewhat around the tool set. The digital tool set has meant that there's a lot there's a lot more communication. Mm-hmm. It's, we are a lot more accessible. Mm-hmm. It still relies on the message. But I do think this situation, that is one of the positives there. I think also then linked back to talent, I think people can see the opportunities a lot more as well because I think you can start to see uh, where the skills are needed, where those kind of future opportunities are. That's also been, I think, accelerated quite a lot in, in some of this. And then going back to the hiring as well or new roles, again, I think in the past maybe where organizations have maybe had some kind of location kind of tied to their role or their their you know the, where should people should be based that that tier's almost been removed so again when people are now seeing opportunities within the organization i think they're seeing that actually they can apply now for a role yeah. that is not necessarily based in their location so that it's it's all kind of bringing people closer together you know you haven't got any location bias based in there or they're kind of like team but it's all it's all kind of bringing the people a lot closer i think so there has been from this and again I'm, I'm always the optimist looking for that 
that side of it. But I do think there has been some some real benefits to this if you embrace them. So company culture is going to play an important role going forward, right, in people's decision-making process when they're looking at their yeah. career paths, right? So, Craig, we've talked, or you've mentioned several times, the company culture here at Salesforce. I think I think we'd all say it's a it's an amazing culture that we've we've become part of. But how are your see how are your conversations with the the C-suite developing around culture? What kind of conversations are you having with with the customers that you're interacting with? Well, I th- I think a lot of companies are trying to reinvent themselves right now. You know, most companies were under pressure to transform their business models in the last five or so years. Many of them put that off a little bit uh, because, you know, yes, there there was a crisis there, but you couldn't always get to that point in the company where enough people saw it and wanted to move. I think if if there's one, uh, there's maybe a few good things to come out of this pandemic, but one is companies now get, they have got to change. Yeah, I started off by saying the expectation of employees, of of suppliers, of anybody who touches your business process has changed during this pandemic. And so it's you can't in in any company, you can't just suddenly take the boat and point it in that direction and expect everybody to follow you and be on board with it. This is now a time to say, right, we you know, during this pandemic, the wise C-suite has thought about what do they want to be when they come out of this? What do they need to address about their speed of movement, their innovation, their uh, attitude to failing? I mean, all of these things, right? We need to move our culture. I would say probably every company has gone through a bit of soul searching and the wise ones have now said, right, we're at a reset point. We have an intellectual argument. We have an inspirational speech that says to our people, this is how we're going to move. And this is what's in it for you as individuals. Because I think this is a fantastic opportunity for companies to reinvent themselves. The technology is not the issue. The technology is really not the issue. I mean, we can do just about anything with this stuff. Definitely compared to 10 years ago, certainly compared to five years ago as well. So what's holding you back? It's that one vision and that drive. Great. You think that's driven a sense of urgency? Yes. You think that's one of the things? I, I think it's more than just a sense of urgency. I think a lot of people had a sense of urgency. They didn't know which way to go, and they didn't know how to move a company with them. Yeah, it's why always the small guys beat us, because there's 10, 20, 30, 100 of them. They can quickly reorientate and move. You try to move a company of thousands, tens of thousands, it's hard. Because it's not just about you getting the idea, I don't know, that we need to switch from product centricity to customer centricity. People can speak the words, they can say it, but do they really want to do it? I mean, if I've been successful all my career working this way and the company's asking me to do this, do I really want to do that? And so you have to get the buy-in and you have to be tough. You know, you will let some people go because they don't want to be part of this future. But a C-suite coming out of this you should be now ruthlessly focused on what you want to achieve in the next one, three, five years. And even a five-year plan these days, I think a lot of us would say, that's too long. Talk about the next 12, 18, 24 months. Galvanize people around the way you want to change the culture to achieve that. Thanks, Craig. Um, Stuart, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think it just reflects on my own personal opinion and the conversations that, that we're having. I think it is that we've got a, there's a plan, there's a direction, there's a real drive. I think we can see the opportunity. I think it is, though, that, as Craig said, it's, it's that sense of urgency, but the direction of that. And again, culturally, 
that foundation, having that there, that, that culture, the values and behaviours there. Because I think, again, customers, I think the expectations from us all, you know, whatever we're consumers and, and whatever we're kind of companies we're interacting with, there is an expectation that there's this seamless kind of integration, you know, the customer experience, you know, all the things that Salesforce preached. I think that's been... I think that that awareness has been heightened throughout all of this, and I think that is the that's a huge challenge. I think for all organisations to make sure that they they seize that opportunity, because I think the ones that do, they're the ones that are going to really excel. Yeah, I think I. I mean, I wonder whether, and this is a personal opinion. I know everyone is different, so so I will simply put this out there. A bit of introspection I've done over the past few weeks is never again am I going to put off doing things. You know, you you have this view that you're free to do whatever you want, whenever you want. And now we've just had a year of basically, sorry, tough guys, you can't. You're in lockdown. And one of the reflections my wife and I were having was, oh, my gosh, we are never again going to turn down the opportunity to do this or to go see those friends or do whatever, because you just don't know what's going to happen. And if I translate that to a business point of view, what was I afraid of previously to move to the, what stopped me from moving faster? What stopped me from doing the things that in my heart of hearts as a C-suite person, I thought we really should be doing this. What stopped me? And I I think those same thoughts have to be had at a professional level as maybe some are having at a personal level. I I agree that appetite for risk, again, Mm. as long as you've got the data there, I think the appetite for risk I think that's the, that could be a, a change across organisations. Are they willing to embrace more risk now? Yes. Based on this experience, because actually the the indecision that may have been there at middle management, or you know the the procrastination, mm. you haven't got the time to do that anymore. No. And that risk appetite comes from leadership really showing a new way to go, so that middle management recognise. The future is not about playing it safe. The future is about driving the company forward. And as you say, based on quality decisions, based on the data. Last question I have for you both. Are we likely to see employees jump from organisation to organisation if they don't find the right cultural fit? Are we going to see that happen quicker now? I think it's going to be how you reflect your... Do those company... Does that culture, those values and behaviours reflect your values and behaviors i think it's a personal decision that i think you can i think you could i think you can have companies that do do it really well and it just may not necessarily be how reflects your reflects your kind of aspirations and your values i think it's it's a quite a complex one that i think obviously the obvious answer is if you haven't got that in place and it's not obvious then yes (laughs) i think employees will look for those opportunities elsewhere i i would agree with Stuart. i I think that's always been the case, but I think the pandemic has heightened this. I I think there's been a lot more conversation around sustainability, around the environment, around the way individuals want to live their lives. And I think if you're working for a brand, a company that aspires to some of these, perhaps it'd be wrong to call it a softer issue, but issues maybe you thought about less before this pandemic, but have been heightened now, societal pressure, peer pressure, whatever, you may decide you actually do want to make a move to a company that's more aligned to your lifestyle, environmental, green credentials than maybe you'd thought about before. Yeah, I agree. I think one of the ones at a practical level is maybe just even the travel travel policy. Absolutely. You know, you know there's there's a practical topic 
that I think he's going to need a fundamental review in a lot of organisations. Just on that point, that's an interesting one. Do you see government having an impact there and having to change policies to make it easier for organisations to allow for flexible working? I'm not an expert on the law, but I, uh, but I don't think government has ever made it that difficult for flexible working within the taxable boundary of that country or that state. So I think that that's always been there. There's been a few quirks in UK law, I know, from working previously in London, where we had to be careful about what we did. But I think government will do something slightly different. I think government will look about how they tax carbon footprint. And depending on how they decide your carbon footprint of your company lies, I think that may start you to change the way you work. You know, if that included commute to work, if that included... Uh, the office building in which you sit, which it probably would, if if that included a tax on the amount of business travel which has been talked about. Um, I think this could have huge implications for taxation, for the airline industry, for the hotel industry. I, I, I mean, I think there's a knock-on effect here that I've always believed most airlines make their money from the people up the front of the plane, and that is dominated, probably 90% business travellers. And as I said at the beginning of this, how much am I going to personally want to travel? Because I know there's an environmental cost to that. Are my, are my customers going to say, hey, Craig, come, come once a year to Singapore and see us. That's fine. Don't come once every three months. You know, you don't need to. I think that's going to be the change that occurs. Yeah, I think sustainability is key. So um, we're out of time, I'm afraid. I think we can talk about the C-suite known on C-suite best practices for much longer. I really appreciate you joining us, Stuart and Craig and Cully for this uh, discussion today. Um, thank you very much. No, thank you. It's been really good. Pleasure, Sarah. We've learned so much about the pressures of C-suite, what they've had to think about over the last 12 months, discovery and learning. That's what our podcasts are all about, Sarah. Exactly. And what I love about this podcast is that we do get C-Suite into the studio for us to record as well. So it gives us an opportunity to um, ask what their challenges are at the moment as well in particular. And it's great to hear there's a people first culture right now. And we'll be back very soon with another great set of guests. I'm Kovinda Hari. And I'm Sarah Paul. This is Blazing Business Trials. Join us next time for our Business Services Podcast brought to you by Salesforce.